0: Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. Join us as we get into 1 John. The name of the series is called God, Our Light, and Life. The title of the sermon is called The Word of Life. And Pastor David will be preaching from 1 John 1 through 4. Let's join Pastor David now. We are starting a new sermon series in this new year entitled God our life and life, and we'll be going through the a New Testament book, the New Testament letter of First John. So this is the book that's going to occupy our time, our thoughts, our attention on Sunday mornings uh, for the next several several weeks uh, that lay before us. And First John is full, as are all of the letters written by John, the works written by John, full of language that is simple. But not simplistic. Uh, it's full of language that's very uh, clear and cut and dry, yet at the same time, it's full of deep and rich metaphors and double entendres. And the more you steep in it, the more deep and profound you realize uh, it truly is. So I'm excited as we're looking at this new year, 2021. If we're going to center around anything, we want to center around our Lord, our God, who is both our light and our life. So, meet me in First John. We'll be looking today at the first four verses. First John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let me read God's word before we continue. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let me pray. Father, as we, as we turn to Your Word, the words that Pastor Brandon preached last week are ringing in my ears. Lord, that this year, uh, may we not only read Your Word, but may Your Word read us. Uh, May we truly be marked and shaped by it. May it truly serve as our anchor and our stay. Lord, may you be the center of the solar systems of our hearts. Uh, May you be our help and hope as we enter this new season, this new year. Lord, not knowing what the next month or two months will bring or six months or the next year will bring, but Lord, we know you've been there already. You know the future. You hold the future. So Lord, hold us. And as we look at your word today, may this next few moments, as we share together, studying your word, in your word, saturated by your word, may this be a small example, a small way in which you prove again to us just how faithfully you are to us, just how much you sustain us and draw us into your will and your desire. So Lord, we're here to be shaped by you. We ask that you would do that in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we all know, we as Christians are living and doing life and ministry and work in a pluralistic society. In a world not with just a culture, but many cultures. Not just with a belief, but many beliefs. And we as Christians uh, seek to live out our Christian life in uh, the society that we found ourselves in. We, we can choose no other cultural moment than this cultural moment to live and do ministry. And have I'm thinking specifically to our, our Christians who are listening in with us today. Have you ever grown a little bit fatigued or weary about explaining who we are by explaining who we're not. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever found yourself, especially with perhaps conversations with maybe friends or family who do not yet know Christ, friends or family you're praying for, and you've ever noticed that we burn a lot of energy on saying things like, oh, you know, this or that example that you saw in the news or you heard or was made popular. is actually not really a good representation of biblical Christianity. Or perhaps someone has said something and, you, and you, you find yourself having to do a lot of deconstruction work of saying, Oh man, this, this or that ideology really doesn't capture the heart of the gospel. Or th- this example that is seen by many is it, not really a good representation of what I as a Christian, what scripture teaches. Have you felt that exhaustion before? I have. I certainly have. A number of my good friends and those who I care about and pray for, who do not yet know Christ, I find a lot of our conversations I'm kind of internally sighing because I know that there's a lot of deconstruction work I need to do before I can actually present the gospel clearly and plainly to our friends, our co-workers, family that do not yet know Christ. But instead of trying to explain who we are by explaining who we're not... (laughs) Instead of trying to go about saying what we're against, I want to open by saying what we're for, what we are about, what is the center. And our center is, is simple. Our center is clear. Our center is one thing, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is, he is the, the point to which all, all history is, is leading up to. He's the point from which all history flows from. He is the summary of all redemptive history and redemptive, God's redemptive work in the world. It all culminates in Christ. He is our center. If you want to know who we as Christians are about, if you're checking out Christianity or, or still figuring things out, if you want to get one thing solid in, a, in an understanding of what Christianity is, it is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. And if we are united around one thing, that's who we're united around. That's who we want to be about. That's who we want to burn our energy on, our focus on, our understanding on. Jesus Christ, God himself, come for us. And in many ways, John opens by showing us, by uh, modeling for us, uh, this uh, Christ-centered focus. This Christ-centered emphasis that in these opening uh, few verses, he in some ways shows us by example that we are to share Jesus. Share Jesus. You may have um, had conversations where people ask questions and you realize, oh my goodness, there's 10,000 rabbit trails I could be taken down, and I feel like, do I need to know everything to explain anything about the gospel? You don't need to know everything. You need to know one thing, Jesus. And he is a person that we will spend our entire lives on earth learning more about, understanding to to greater depths. Yet at the same time, the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. It's clear enough that we can pick it up uh, simply and clearly yet profound enough that we could spend all of eternity plumbing the depths of who Christ is. And John opens by modeling for us, showing us that we are to share Jesus. If we want to share one thing, it's Jesus. Share him. Look at the first two verses. John opens by saying, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, or the word that is life." The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And we see modeled in both of these verses, if if we're going to be all about Jesus, if that's going to be our center, as it has been at Village, and as it certainly will be in the months and the years to come, if we're going to be all about Jesus, we need to know who he is. Well, First John shows us, these first two verses, that Jesus is a historic, literal person who walked this earth. Someone that can be seen with our eyes, looked upon. Someone that can be heard. Someone that can be touched. Someone that was made manifest, literally present before John and uh, the disciples. And as we're reading through this, you might wonder... Who's the we? Now this letter is written by John, but this we is the we of first person testimony, first person witness. That John says, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him, I was with him. We ate food together. I saw him get tired. I saw him wake up. I saw him walk. I saw him teach. John says, we, as in I, and all those who were with me, all the other disciples, all the other apostles who were eyewitnesses to this literal person, this historic person, Jesus Christ. He's fully human. But as we read these verses, we realize he's also so much more, not less, but so much more. That Jesus, this historic person, Jesus, is also someone... Look at some of these phrases. That was from the beginning. Also someone who is the life. End of verse 1 and uh, verse 2. The word that is life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. Someone who is with the Father. Verse 2. Catch the magnitude of these phrases. He's... From the beginning. Now, this is classic John. From the beginning. What's that sound like? Something like in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First John chapter 1. That also sounds like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 1. This is classic John. Clear language, that which was from the beginning. But the more you soak in it, the more you realize just how profound and huge a statement that John is saying in this very simple phrase. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that Christ existed before creation itself. That he was with the Father. That Jesus Christ is the second member of the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit. This historic person that walked this earth and ate fish. And walked with the disciples and taught the multitudes. The same historic figure who came, was incarnate and came and lived the life and died the death. That we deserve. That rose again. He is none other than God himself. He is none other than the life. Eternal life. That we realize that if by faith in Christ, did you know this is somewhat shocking, the ultimate goal is not heaven. The ultimate goal is Christ. And heaven's a lovely byproduct that comes with him. That he, Jesus Christ, is our life. He is our eternal life. And he, as explained by these verses, is fully God. Fully man and fully God, just in these opening two verses, now this affirmation is way too big of a claim for all of us, for any of us whether you're a Christian or whether you're checking Christianity out, this is way too big of a claim for us to kind of conclude some sort of middle of the ground road about who Jesus is you can't look at Jesus, you can't read a verse like this and just say meh you can't, you either fully reject him or you fully give yourself to him. Either you run the opposite direction or you put all of your eggs in his basket. Do you see this claim? He is God himself. He is the life. He's the only way that you and I can solve these ultimate problems of death and eternal life. He's the only, what other higher source would we turn to? What other greater king would we kneel to other than Jesus? You can't go halfway. Once you see who Christ claims he is, once you see what scripture claims of Christ, you've either got to fully refuse him or fully receive him. Now, some of you might be saying, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Some of you might be saying, well, wait a second. Listen, we live in a pluralistic world. You know, I've, I've got coworkers who are Muslim. You know, my kids uh, have... Uh, on our sports team, with Jewish friends, uh, my boss is an atheist. I've got another coworker who's kind of just spiritual in general, but uh, kind of exploring all different routes and options. This, 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 this sounds a little exclusive, doesn't it? This sounds a little black and white. It sounds like what you're saying, Pastor, is that either you're all in or you're all out, and that bears eternal implications. And that is what I'm claiming. Now we live in a pluralistic society. Where it it might not be so overt in your face, but have you ever felt as a Christian just kind of shushed? Just kind of shushed to the corner. That The world in some way is saying, hey, if we're all going to get along, we need to downplay our differences, right? That's what the world says. We need to, hey, 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 don't rock the boat. Shh, 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 shh. Don't focus on Jesus as if he is the only way. Have you ever either heard that literally said to you or certainly felt that pressure? Kind of this silent, hey, Christian, don't, ah, don't bring that here. I can certainly attest as, um, <laughs> and this might be a somewhat of a unique experience as a pastor, sometimes when I'm meeting new people and they don't know I'm a pastor yet, <laughs> and then I, I say that I'm a pastor, the conversation either soars or dies immediately. <laughs> Uh, And uh, and I can feel, I can feel this tension of people saying, oh man, it's going to get divisive. It's going to get weird. It's going to get squirrely. So the the solution for the world is just, shh, don't, don't, don't talk about that. Don't focus on our differences. Upplay our similarities. Don't focus on the uniqueness of Jesus. Don't focus on the uniqueness of what this is now we 're going to spend a little bit of time on the in some ways a, a response to this concern a response to this question, but very briefly i 'm going to explain very quickly uh, if we confront or if we are confronted with this idea that a don 't exclusive truth claims produce kind of self righteous divisive followers so we shouldn't we shouldn 't be about exclusive truth claims here 's the problem and it 's deeper than you might think. We are all navigating in exclusive truth claims. All of us. You might not even be religious. You might say, I'm the opposite of religious. I I don't believe in any God. You yourself can't get out of, you can't wiggle out of exclusive truth claims. We're all stuck. (laughs) We're all stuck. And if that is your objection, don't don't be exclusive. It produces self-righteous, divisive followers. If that's your objection, we're all stuck in exclusivity. You're almost right, but you're actually wrong. (laughs) Let's break it down. Let's spend some time on this. Uh, First, the world says, don't, don't, don't draw lines in the sand. But that's a line in the sand that you've drawn to which now you uh, can measure, have I crossed or not? Uh, There is no truth. Well, that itself is a statement of truth that is claiming a truth claims by its own definition should undo itself uh, don't don't evangelize don't try to proselytize don't try to win people over to your side well that's a side to what you're trying to win me over to so we realize with this objection that the world has hey listen don't be all about exclusive truth claims that itself is an exclusive truth we're all stuck we're all stuck Now, the follow-up objection, doesn't exclusivity produce self-righteous, kind of divisive followers? Now, that would be true if, if, if the message of biblical Christianity was uh, a message that we were saying only those who are somehow enlightened have found their way in. Only those who are brilliant and smart, only those who have the deep and true understanding that we've arrived by our own brains, our own intellect, our own efforts, our own abilities, only they are the ones who are welcomed. in. if that was true, then the gospel would only be for the brilliant, only be for the smart, only be for the enlightened. If it was all up to us, then absolutely. If it was only held for an elite few, then we wouldn't be able to help but to look down on others. Or to rank each other. If if the gospel was a message that we enter by our own good behavior. That God only welcomes in those who are good and upright and moral. People of decency and common sense. And once, once everyone else just learns how to behave, then finally they'll be ushered into God's presence. If that was the message of the gospel, then you're right. Grace would only be offered to those who are upstanding good citizens who do what is right and obey the speed limit and let other people go in front of them at the grocery store. If the message of biblical Christianity is that we are born into this faith... by by virtue of our pedigree or by virtue of of the family we are born in, then the gospel would only be available to the elite few, right? Now, if that's the message of the gospel, the objection is exactly right. If it's up to our performance to get into God's grace, the objection is exactly right. But here's the problem. That's not the message of the gospel at all. (laughs) The message of the gospel is not one that we achieve our way in by our moral efforts. And that is the message of all religion. And that is the message of all irreligion as well. That if we want to get in with God, so says religion. If we want to get in with true meaning and true value and true purpose, so says the secular world, who's turned their back on God. If it's all up to you and it's all up to me and my own performance, then absolutely exclusive truth claims that are not based in grace divide. They can't help but do it. We can't help but look to the left and right and look, and look either down our nose or up our nose at others who are beside us. But friends, the good news is this is something completely different altogether. This is a message of grace that do, we don't achieve our way in by our own efforts. We are welcomed in by God's grace. This is where in the gospel, this is something completely different, something completely unique. That the core truth of the message of the gospel is one of grace. That you and I don't enter because we're so special. You and I don't enter because we're so smart. You and I don't enter because we were born into the right family at the right time in the right place. You and I are only special because of Jesus Christ in us. That he offers us salvation by grace and grace alone. And that produces followers who are not self-righteous, but who are humble. That produces followers who don't walk into God's presence saying, Wow, well, <laughs> what, a, what a blessing I am to the kingdom. No, we come into God's grace utterly broken on our knees, asking for his mercy. It produces followers who want to do things like die for their neighbors as Christ has died for us. It produces followers who want to love and serve even their enemies. Even our enemies. And do you see how it's something completely different. It's a category all on its own. And this is the message that John is saying. Share it. Share it. John says, this is the message that I've seen. He's an eyewitness testimony. And this is a message, by the way, that's trustworthy. 1 John was written absolutely no later than 70 years after Jesus was crucified. The very latest date possible is 70 years. That is far too close to the actual events for this to be a wholesale fabrication. It, it would have been just as easy if, if, if John was making this up. It would be like me, all of a sudden, putting out a letter that says, hey, World War II, it wasn't real, it's just, it's just made up. And you'd say, hold on, wait a second, I got photographs in my home of a father, a grandfather, a family who was there. I've got letters. So if John just somehow popped up out of, the, just out of nowhere and just made this whole thing up, people said, whoa, hold on. I was there. John says, I was there. This message is trustworthy. This message is worth sharing. And God's word is showing us by example. Share it. We are not in, it, exactly like John in the sense that we're not eyewitnesses, literal eyewitnesses to the risen Christ, but we know someone who is there. By his spirit, he resides in us. And dear brother and sister in Christ, we can share this message. Not only are we commanded to share this message, we can share it. And this is why. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically, this applies to all of us, but I'm thinking specifically to my generation and younger my generation and younger in many ways have not known a world that is radically pluralistic. Now this is true of many urban centers for, for generations and generations in many pockets around the world. But in some ways through technology, other people groups, other ideologies aren't just over there. It's just not something you have to take a plane or a boat to get, it's in, it's in our pockets. It's, it's it's delivered to us directly. And in many ways, uh, my generation younger, we know no other existence. And here's the temptation. This is a temptation for all of us, but I'm spe- speaking specifically uh, to my age and younger. There's going to be a temptation, especially now and continuing in the future, to just shh, shh, don't share that. Don't say that. Stop rocking the boat. We're all trying to get along. And there is this subtle, 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 kind of kind of just sidelining of, of the Christian witness that it slowly creeps into our heart that if we're gonna live in a pluralistic society, we we, we better be pretty quiet about Jesus. Dear brother and sister in Christ, you can share this message. Because the message of the gospel is not another option on the buffet line. It's a different category altogether. If the message of biblical Christianity was just another one of the world religions, then you we'd just be recruiting. We're all in, we're all in marketing. We're just trying to convince that our product is better than the person down the street. But did you know that the gospel is something completely different? This is not another option on the buffet line. It's something completely, altogether, holistically different. This is a message of grace. You're not going to find that anywhere else. We're not trying to convince people that we have a better product. We're trying to pass on the good news of the gospel that Christ has first shared to us. The message of grace. Friends, this this doesn't produce self-righteous, bitter, divisive followers. This message produces people who are saved, welcomed into eternal life, and will do things like die for their neighbors. Share it. Share this message. Have courage. Be bold. Take the opportunities God presents you. Make opportunities. Invite someone to your home. Share a meal. Ask thoughtful questions. Take time. To make Jesus known in your personal relationships. And you might say, well, to what end? What can you expect when this happens? To what purpose? To what final goal? Verse 3 says that we, that sharing Jesus actually builds community. It stirs and builds and forms and creates and designs community. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. Remember, this is this eyewitness testimony. We proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Sharing about Jesus is not a closed door. Sharing about Jesus is not reserved for the elite few. Sharing about Jesus is for the world, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's an open door so that sharing about Jesus is welcoming people to share in Jesus by faith in Christ. Now this is what's so beautiful about this idea of sharing in Jesus. is wrapped up in this word fellowship. Fellowship. Now you might be saying, Yeah, David, I grew up in church circles. I know what fellowship is. Where two or three cookies are gathered in my name, there I am also. You can't have fellowship without decaf and caffeinated coffee, right? <laughs> fellowship. Now, fellowship often happens, and I recommend it, often happens around food, <laughs> but it's actually something much, much, much more profoundly deep. Fellowship is this, this uh, partnership with one another. It's this union and connectedness first with Christ and then with one another. It's this close, personal, intimate connectedness and shared mission and shared message that we have in Jesus Christ. That's fellowship. And if that is true, if we are first, look at some of this language. Verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us. That we Christians have deep connected fellowship with each other in an eternal sense. Did you know that? And also that our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son, Jesus Christ, that we are, as Christians, wrapped up into the triune relationship of the Godhead. We're not gods, obviously, but we are welcomed in. Did you know that? Do you know what that means? It means, dear brother and sister in Christ, you have more eternally in common with fellow believers who live in North Korea or Tajikistan or Burkina Faso or Idaho than you do with your fellow neighbor in Wadsworth or Gurney who does not yet know Christ. You have more eternally in common. You have a tighter bond and union spiritually in Christ with John himself who wrote this letter than you do your coworker who does not yet know Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that's how deeply unified we are with Christ and with each other? That's what John means by fellowship. And do you see that this is not a message that divides. This is the message that, that, that doesn't play the rules of the categories that we as humanity make up. The gospel cuts right in between categories of rich and poor. The gospel cuts right in between categories of red, brown, yellow, black, and white. The gospel cuts right between all these categories of educated or, or uneducated. And it, it, it unites us. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And in many ways, the message of the gospel is the only truth, the only message that is truly global, truly global. There's no geographical place on this planet that can say, hey, hey, this is where Christians are. Because God's grace is not just reserved for one people. It's not just reserved for one nation. It's not just reserved for one tongue. The the message of grace is for for humanity. Christ has come for all of us. And that means this message unites us in Christ. And this is a message, dear brother and sister of Christ, that is true of you No matter what, if you're in Christ, we're united with each other as we are united to Christ. Are we living like that? Do our conversations reflect that? Does our patience with one another reflect that? Are there other secondary things that have vied for our Unifying core other than Christ? Are there things that can potentially wedge between the relationship between believers? Other important things, secondary things, they might be important, but have they gotten in the way of the fellowship, <laughs> the fellowship that we have in Christ? Because when we share Jesus, This is a message that ought to profoundly unify and strengthen the Christian community. We have a shared message. We have a shared mission. We have one Savior, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That means, dear brother and sister in Christ, we are one. May we live that way. The world is in desperate need of an example. Is that possible? For the world, the jury is still out. They're not quite sure. Dear Christian, you have the news. You have the only message that can ultimately unify, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And sharing Jesus stirs and it builds and it forms community. It forms us. And it also stirs and builds and forms joy joy, deep joy, a deep profound sense of peace and wholeness and happiness is somewhat too trite of a word, regardless of our circumstances, a profound sense of joy, look at what it says, this final verse, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete That in many ways that because the gospel is a message that, that we're so lost, we're so broken, we're so in need. We can never get in by ourselves. That humbles us. Yet we're so loved that Christ welcomed us in. He wanted us in. And that builds us up. And as we are welcomed into this message, this, as we've mentioned before, doesn't produce a community, a fellowship, a family, a church. It doesn't produce followers who are kind of self-righteous, who kind of, you know, look to their left and right and look up and down their nose and just kind of create. It doesn't form that. It forms a community of joy because we have all entered by the same way. We've all entered by grace. It's a gift as we are welcomed in. And friends, this is, again, another one of the reasons why the biblical gospel is totally different from all everything else that religion offers or the world offers. Because every other circle, if it's entered by our performance, it creates divisiveness. If you enter a circle by your brains, if your, your brains or your intellect, if that's your identity, if that's your core if you know I am where I am and, and, and this is my, my predominant uh, identifier, it's my intellect, have you noticed? You can't help but being intimidated by other smart people. Or you can't help but, but trying to, you know, kind of just, you know, share enough facts to let them know, i oh, yeah I'm, like, I'm one up on you. If our brains are identity, that's what happens. If our work ethic is our identity... If we say, I am who I am because I work hard, and I'm the hardest working person, I know this is who I am, this is who I need to be. Have you noticed? You can't help but be intimidated by other hardworking people. You can't help but start competing with other hardworking people. If your identity is wrapped up in your pedigree or ethnicity, you can't help but looking down on or feeling either superior or inferior. If your identity is wrapped up in religious devotion, I am busy For Christ. And that's my hope. That's my identity. That's my true relationship. That's how I know that everything's going to be okay. Because look how busy I am for the Lord. If that's your identity, you cannot help but start ranking yourself. How busy am I or aren't I compared to this or to that person? And the message of grace absolutely cuts the legs out of all of those other identities. It says you are welcomed by grace and grace in the Lord. And that means that the bigger the Christian community grows... The more joy-filled it grows. Because we don't come to Christ saying, well, I've arrived. Look at my resume. We come to Christ as a gift. Then as we look up at him, caught up in worship and gratitude and thanks, then we look to the left and to the right. Then we see people like you and you and you. And we look to the left and right and we say, oh, you too? You too? You received this grace also? And it forms a community of joy, fellowship, shared common purpose. A mission that he has given us and that the world desperately needs. Friends, First John, even in these opening verses, is showing us that this joyful community grows where Jesus Christ is shared. This deep, rich Christian community full of thanksgiving and gratitude It grows, it develops, it's fostered. We cultivate that as Jesus Christ is shared, both talked about, but also participated in. You are in Christ, dear brother and sister. And this is a message the world desperately needs. 2020 has shown the world that all other things that we can try to unify around can fall short. We can try to unify around an ideology. That might fall short or take a turn. We can try to unify around uh, stability or security. Well, that can be taken away. We can try to unify around dozens and dozens of good things, good causes, various things that uh, thoughtful Christians uh, can speak into. But if they become our ultimate instead of Christ being our ultimate, that can divide. Village Church, we are united around one thing, Jesus Christ. So as we share about him, remember that you share in him. And as that happens, watch our community grow. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us strength and grace and mercy in this reality. Father, we know, we've all tasted, we've all seen glimpses of you at your best, of Christian community at its best. And Lord, as that goal is set before us, we are immediately confronted by our own brokenness, our own sinfulness. Lord, I am the problem. We are the problem. So Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy. We pray that you would look upon us with favor and compassion Lord, we want to be a light to this world. We want to be a light to our neighbors. And Lord, we know that you and you alone provide the resources to do that. May you do that through us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurnee's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurnee or go to www bcgurney.org